The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. We're going to continue our conversation and finish the, this eight-week conversation we had unfolding and unwrapping the Beatitudes, a beautiful life. Because really, in the end, if, if the resurrection life means anything, it means that a person can live a life that's incredibly and remarkably beyond what they dreamed possible. So join me this morning in a word of prayer, and we'll jump into the scriptures right afterwards. Father, thank you once again for an opportunity to actually come in our communities with our friends and our family and to hear your voice. And so what I pray most is that the folks that are here this morning, whoever they are, and folks who will hear the podcast later, that somewhere through all of this, that they will hear your voice to their souls and that it'll be hope, it'll be life, it'll be restorative, and they'll step into a future that belongs to you. Be with us in that unique way that you are and speaking to each of us personally, uniquely. In Christ's name, amen and amen. Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, the, um, the thing that's, that's remarkable about this story, most importantly, I think, is the fact that how when Jesus spoke, it was a, a mixed group of people, probably like this, maybe not mostly dressed in black, but still a mixed group. So here he is, a young guy, about 30, and um, he, this is a rabbi who's teaching. And as he was speaking and sharing with folks, people from all sorts of classes and backgrounds and lifestyles and choices and habits and decisions were, were tagging along. Because something about what he said meant life to them, and it was restorative, and it was hopeful to them. I don't know if everybody bought it at first. In fact, I'm almost certain that they didn't. I don't even believe that they realized who they were listening to. But there was something about his words that, that spoke life into their souls and into their being, and it meant something to them, enough to perhaps even leave the cultures and the communities they were a part of to go listen to a young guy speak and teach. He uses a word, blessed, that's found very rarely in literature. In fact, it's primarily found in Greek literature. And it's found in a, a large volume of work known as the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of Hebrew scriptures. And he uses the word here. And this word here, this blessed that we have in our Bibles, and some of your Bibles may say happy, it's a, a word that has a unique state of happiness because it's a unique state that's brought upon by a God or God. And so when Jesus uses this word, he uses the word that folks at that time would have actually understood because in the mix of all these people were, were groups of people who were Greeks and Romans, and Greek being the common language, this, this is a word they understood, that this was a unique state of happiness, a unique state of good fortune that's only brought upon by a God. And so he says, blessed are those who 
and blessed are those who, and blessed are those who. As I've said before, the, the, the challenge for me in many times in reading the scriptures was, was not that I was troubled by what I didn't understand. That, that's, you know, I'm okay with not knowing stuff sometimes because I don't get a lot of things. It's the stuff that I did understand that was troubling, right? I mean, isn't that what sort of you have to struggle with? And many times in looking at the red letters, so you know when Jesus is talking, it, I used to have to fight the fact that if, if this is right, I'm completely wrong. But if I'm completely wrong, I, I don't know if I really want to be right, you know? And one of us is wrong in this conversation. One of us is totally missing this. And so when Jesus speaks about forgiveness to the point of even reaching out to Judas, who was going to betray him, at the last moment, I was thinking, man, that it, I just couldn't do that. I'm not that guy. When he speaks about the generosity and giving and courage and faithfulness, sometimes it's just beyond what I'm able to get to at times without his assistance, without his help. And so even these short verses speaking about who we ought to be and who we can be, it seems remarkably unbelievable. And even if it's possible, where's the payoff? What's the benefit? I mean, does it make sense to be these kind of people? Now, I... I'll tell you that it seems that these first four attributes, these first four conditions, are really between you and God in this journey. I mean, the person that's in, in, uh, aware of his poverty, aware of his spiritual poverty, you know, and, and I've told you that since I have the majority of my family in Mexico, in deep part of Mexico, um, I've seen people in their poverty, and there's nothing elegant about it, there's nothing wonderful about it or noble. It's just poverty. It's not a, you're in between paychecks, this is just poverty. It's the poverty that you know from your parents, that you have passed down to your kids, you're gonna, they're going to pass it down to their kids. It's just the state of what it is. And so when Jesus spoke about spiritual poverty, however, he was speaking about the inability for a man or a woman to have anything that would actually be helping their souls connect to God. Completely broken, completely bankrupt. And he says, these are the people that are aware of their poverty, that actually inherit the kingdom. This next phase or stage he speaks about is mourning, which is a natural response to that kind of poverty. I am so disconnected from God, I am so cut off. My actions that I've done, the, done, the ones that were done to me, have, have disconnected me from God, and I'm not able to connect. And he says, that kind of mourning actually will allow you to be comforted because it's not the comfort of, of, of holding a frightened child or, or, or just wrapping your arms around somebody and telling them it's going to be all right and you're half hoping it will be. But it's the kind of comfort that God brings by actually changing a person's soul that he or she receives comfort from him and is experiencing God in a, in a way that it actually is transformative, that it's life-giving. It's not just my duty. It's not just rituals I have to perform. But I'm actually experiencing a flow of life that's different than I've ever known before. And so mourning becomes actually a, a good state. And then he spoke about meekness, which we understood as power under control. A life that's not in chaos. I mean, it speaks about the people who are talented or people who have gifts. That everybody, strengths, abilities, influences. And, and, you know, it's being able to have a focused intention to your life. You're not just reacting correctly, but you're responding correctly. 
It's the word that would be used to speak about a, a powerful animal that has its force subdued and actually has an intention to it, a horse that has a, a bit in its mouth, for example. It's not, no longer a wild animal, but it has its power under control. And in fact, our, I know at times that may not sound very attractive, except even our own language gives us a way that we want that sort of focused control in our lives. We speak about trying to get our act together, that things are coming apart, and you feel scattered. And then there have been moments in your life when you really, things were just humming along, you're playing, you know, you brought your A game every day to work into your life, and you knew that you just had a focused intention into your life. And this is the idea of meekness. Spoke about hunger and thirst. Jesus said, man, the people that hunger and thirst for righteousness are incredibly beneficial. They're incredibly a beneficial state of of being. Um, You've heard me say that, that I think God's like anchovies. He's an acquired taste. You know, it really is at times. So occasionally people will come into a new community like this and they wonder, boy, what do I have to give up to be part of this community? And I, hey, you know, how about you hang on to whatever you want to hang on to? Because here's what I'm convinced is going to happen, that that the further and further you, you connect and journey with God, you're just going to lose your appetite for certain things that are unhealthy for you. It's just, you just find yourself developing a new set of tastes and habits and interests. And what was once perhaps uninteresting to you is now is life-giving to you. And when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're going to be filled. Now, the next four, however, seem to deal with people. Because the person that's gone through this stage, these phases, these stages in their life, then move into an area where the, the first, to me, obvious sign that this person has gone through this powerful moment with God is how they treat people. It's how you treat people. It's not necessarily how you dress, how you vote, where you live. Um, We've made up those rules. And Christ is focusing on individuals and relationships and community. And there's almost nothing you do in obedience to God that doesn't involve another person. So here's the first one, mercy. Showing an act of kindness, unconditional love, unconditional kindness, unconditional forgiveness. And, and here's the part that I think is sometimes that we, we still will choke on or hesitate on, unlimited. Because if we love, as Paul says, there's always hope. And if love doesn't draw people in to connect to God, I mean, what else do we have to offer? Love wins in the end. And it takes courage to believe that at times. But that's what we're left with. And that is the best thing to be left with. And so Jesus says the person that's experiencing mercy and showing mercy to people at this level, they're in a very unique state of happiness, a unique state of being. Now I'm going to point out that there's also a person stepping into not just experiencing kindness and love from God, but showing it. And this is that first stage or level or area of beginning to love people as well. It's not the highest yet, but it's very significant. The purity, those who are pure in heart see God. We discover that that's not just the person that, not just naughty anymore. Stop listening to rap music or something. No more R-rated movies. It may include that, I guess. I don't know. You know what the point, and there is one, is that there just just isn't confusion. There's a... um, um, (laughs) I wear glasses to see far away because I'm nearsighted. 
when I take them off, most people are fuzzy and most things are fuzzy. It, it, I, I notice sometimes people will say hello to me and I like think, oh, hey, who are you? Oh, it's my son. How are you? Good to see you. You have that five dollars you owe me? And um, what the purity in heart has to do is that all these things that are unhealthy, like jealousy, envy, hatred, anger, unforgiveness, and, and just all these monstrous dark things that consume our souls and shrivel us, are, are removed by God. Because we're living in this way of showing mercy, and we have experienced this morning, we've experienced the comfort, and it's almost like, um, it's just like cleaning the lenses. And here's what you see first, we discovered, the first thing you see is you see God's love for you. And it has such a healing, restorative you know, component to it. But most importantly is that you begin to see God's love for other people and how he values them. And you begin to see God's work in humanity and in the world and in history. And so the purity, the purity in heart is having him clean out all those things that were just damaging to you. And you can actually see him moving in the lives of individuals, your life, and in history. Peacemaker. You know, whenever I think of a peacemaker, I think of that, you know, tombstone, that big six-inch, you know, revolver, the peacemaker, and um, I'm probably the only gun-crazy person here, because, um, you know, God, guns, and movies made our country great, and um, mostly guns. You know, the peacemaker is that man or woman that ends up being a reservoir for people that are dry. They end up actually almost like Jesus spoke about water flowing through their lives. And you end up actually being that person that restores life, restores hope, restores faith, restores kindness to people that just haven't experienced it. Or they've been so hurt, so damaged, so taken from. They just, they just have nothing to give. And at some level, by, by showering them with peace and bringing love and order into lives and situations at times, that we end up restoring, in a very healthy way, a dry place, and you become known as a son or a daughter of God. But the persecuted, I mean, you know, all of that sounds so remote, doesn't it? I mean, it, it sounds like our friends, our brothers and sisters who perhaps are literally in jails or literally deprived of the privileges of citizenship or literally withheld liberties because they happen to believe in Jesus Christ and they take him seriously. I mean, that's just something we just really don't have in our country. And yet, Jesus said that this particular state of being is someone who is experiencing love at the highest level. In fact, what was interesting to discover is that when you read this, it's the same benefit, same reward as the first one, the poverty one, almost completing the circle and finishing the gap, the whole thing. And so I find that completely interesting that the beginning is at the end and it finishes the journey. But persecution for righteousness sake, I mean... Um, that's one of those words that we don't use much, is it? I mean, it's not just something we, we, we have in our normal language. But uh, here's what I see it meaning, and here's what I see it speaking to. See, I, if I don't even know you well, I know a few things about every one of you, and that is primarily you're a spiritual being, period. Whether you've come to church, whether you rarely go, whether you've, you've driven by a church, whether you have a... I mean, I know that primarily you're a spiritual being, period. And I also know that, that if we have conversations regarding God, I'm not starting one for you. I'm probably just jumping in what's already been going on for quite a while. Because the truth is, is that from the moment you were born, you were already part of God's story and he was part of yours. Always. Always. 
And every single moment that you had a hopeful thought, every, every experience of beauty, every lovely, healthy, wonderful, good thing that's happened to you has been those moments of God calling you at some level. But I'm also aware of one thing, is that there are forces out there that are not that way. And they have a way of consuming our souls and discounting and disparaging and damaging everything about us to the point that we no longer believe that we can be loved or we should be loved. And it expresses itself in the way people um, perhaps either hurt themselves, cut themselves, abuse themselves, but it even seems to express itself in ways that we wouldn't think are unhealthy. Looking for affirmation, looking for some sort of identity, looking for some sort of way to declare that I am somebody. You work too hard. You're just looking for that thing that'll tell you that you are a fully authentic human being. And so Jesus is saying something to us about persecution that, that this, because of this war going on, and here's what's interesting, I, I, not only is, is it a war in our souls, it's for your souls. And it's fought, and this war is waged by the weapon of love. And it's only by sacrifice. And when this war is going on, what he's asking us is that I, I don't want you to go to war against people that are damaged and, and show them they need to be right. I want you to go to war for people who are damaged and show them how they can experience my life. What I've given to you, what I've shared with you, what you've seen, what you've heard, I want you to share with others. It is a, um, a call, an invitation to join him. And it's a, rather, of course he's pointing to himself, but he's also pointing to everyone who would call himself a follower of Jesus. See, if we're not doing something like this where we care for people at that level, you know what you are? You're just a Christian. <laughs> where if you do the right thing, you vote the right way, you dress correctly, you know, you, 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 you hate what you're supposed to hate, then you're, you're correct with God. And it's actually more than that. Again, but persecuted for what? For, for this thing called righteousness. And it's... Um, Here's the strange part about this. It, it's, not, it's not because you're doing well. It's because you want others to do well. It's for this uh, right state of being. I mean, if you, if you completely live your life in truth and in hope and in love and in mercy and in kindness, you are going to experience pushback. That's what's stunning, isn't it? I mean, I, I like to tell you that, you know, you, you step into a new life of Jesus Christ and all your problems are solved. And in one way, something has been miraculously resolved. But he's asking you to enter into this battle and concern for the souls of men and women. Especially after he's restored yours. And it can only be won by love, and it can only be won by sacrifice, but it, 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 you're going to not always, you're not always going to get awards for it, or applause, or admiration. And the odd thing is, is that this pushback and blowback and resistance and opposition comes not from what you would expect. It doesn't come from 
a community and a culture that is evil or dark or broken, it comes from the community that claims to be whole. Church, religious people. You see, Jesus wasn't persecuted by people who weren't religious. He was persecuted by his own culture of religious people. So it shouldn't be a bit a surprise if, if you experience some of this pushback when you think, well, I'm just trying to do the right thing here and I know what I've experienced, I just want to give it away. Well, that's awesome. But Jesus himself was the example that it, sometimes it appears that you completely lose in that battle and in that effort. And you fight against or you're persecuted against those that hold the, the, the hammer and the anvil of people's lives hammering and destroying because they hold a principle more sacred than they hold a person. The righteous will always be persecuted by the self-righteous. Period. Righteous will always be misunderstood by those who are arrogant and appear to be healthy. Because it's just that kind of a crazy, dangerous, mad world that Jesus came to rescue and save. Like many of you have experienced. And he's asking you, hey man, I, I don't want you to hide. I want you to, to go out to wherever it's messy and weird. You know what I've seen happen, I think is tragic? I've seen people who, their lives are a little bit you know, chaotic. They step into a religious community. They step into a mosaic or another church. They connect with Jesus Christ in a very authentic, healthy way, and, and they're, they're just experiencing wholeness and, and integration in a way they've never known before. That's something that only God can do. And then they do the strangest thing. They cut themselves off from all their former friends. I've never understood that. I mean, why would you leave your friends? <laughs> why would you disconnect from your family? Surely... Of all people, those are the folks that you should be more connected to. Even if they don't get who you are anymore. But we pull away thinking that somehow this is what he would ask us to do. And let me tell you something, that is never God's intention. Never. The strangest, the darkest, the most broken, the most weird, the most dangerous places to go is where he asks us to go and show him his love. And sometimes that's, just a, that sometimes that's just a relationship. See, freedom and liberty are never given. They have to be fought for. And sometimes people are not able to fight for it for themselves, and you have to fight for it for them. With love, with prayer, with sacrifice. And, and Jesus died for us to live a life of adventure and freedom and liberty without destroying our souls in the process. Because some of us have had those moments when we thought we were so free, living in such great pleasure and joy, and you know there was always the blowback of jail, time, gops, mess. And sooner or later we realize this is, this is just leaving me hollow and empty. When we live at a level of loving people that Jesus is speaking about here, it requires us to get involved in people's lives that sometimes are messy and chaotic. And you're not quite sure really 
how to proceed other than just to love them. Other than just to believe in the best, hope for the best. As Paul says, that love is. It never gives up. It never quits. Reminds me of the Terminator. He will not stop, you know. It says you're like the Terminator of love, you know. <laughs> About the red eye. Uh. See, love at this level is, is, is a badge of honor. It's the highest level of love. It's the level of love that, that says it, it'll cost your security, your ideas, and your life. And, and make no mistake about this. Jesus is not about making you comfortable necessarily. He's about killing you. So that you can live completely, fully alive. It is... Um, since I deal with work and business all the time, my mind always thinks in terms of return on investment. Don't pretend like you don't either. I mean, it's like, well, gosh, I didn't know it was you were so crippled. Maybe I should go to another church now. Please. I see your looks on your faces. Um, have you ever been that person that asks, well, what do I get out of it? No? Okay, so all of you are broken liars, apparently. Uh, um, see, I, I always think in terms of, okay, I, I know that I, I, I want to be that person. How is, what will be the outcome if I am this person? You know, what's the return on the investment? What's the ROI, right? You live. You're restored. Your relationships are healthy. Families healed. Humanity changed. God honored and more people wishing to get on board. That's the investment. But, but I will tell you that it, it takes a bit of courage to believe this, because you don't see the outcome. You just get the promise. And most of us are down with, well, if I know how it's gonna work out, I'll go. Oh, okay, yeah, I'm not telling you. <laughs> you know, I want you to join me and trust me, because this is part of the adventure. Is this gonna be fun? Okay. <laughs> And it is part of the adventure that changes you. Even the doubts, even the sorrows, even the brokenness. And listen, I, I, some of you have had these moments that, that you've cared for people, you've hoped for the best, you've invested in their lives, and when they break, they decide to break back into darkness, and you weep. But I'm telling you, it is worth it to be able to love someone at that level. You are not less of a person, you are becoming completely human at that level. See, the person that's persecuted for righteousness, it's not the one that's maybe denied their liberties. They denied themselves for other people's liberty. They refuse to live without someone else being better. In fact, well, I mean, let's take the obvious example. It seems so far from us at times. It's the example of Christ who takes on our crimes and our punishment so that we can live. That's the ultimate example, correct? But then he says, this is how I want you to imitate my life. And you are in a unique state of happiness and joy and pleasure because you have the capacity to love at this level. Um, I told that first group this morning you know, they're under the illusion that they're my favorite when, when obviously you guys are. <laughs> <laughs> I 
they come in half awake, their hair all crazy, you know, dragging in. But you guys, you guys are all, look at you. I mean, who could not love you guys? I'm the person that believes in love at first sight. You know, I, I have not lost that notion. I'm absolutely a believer in love at first sight because it happened to me three different times. This is why sometimes I don't get people when they say, oh, quitting smoking is so hard. Really? It was the easiest thing I did. I did it several times, you know? <laughs> yeah, someone just got that. <laughs> Welcome. How are you? Good morning. <laughs> Coffee just kicked in. <laughs> I've experienced love at a high level. People who have um, loved me and invested in my life, it is, was surprising looking back at it. But let me tell you about the three times I fell in love at first sight. It was my three kids. Didn't know them. It was immediate. wasn't forced. I, I had nothing to do with it. I didn't want to, you know, and uh, <laughs> little boogers grew in me. And, and it, you know, when, when you, some of you guys are parents, some of you think, I'll never be a parent. And you're you're going to be a parent, okay? That's just what's going to end up happening. And you're going to experience this love that, that you would exchange places with your children when they're suffering. You, if you could, you would in a heartbeat. And yet, here's what's interesting. That's still not the highest level of love. It comes close. Um, my wife and I, we've been married 30 years this July. And after all... <laughs> That's what she said when I told her, reminded her. And, and uh, you know, we were two when we first got married. And so, um, you know, my wife asked me, honey, do you still love me? You mean like I did? Yeah, no. Set it up for, because I love you more, you know. <laughs> so I had 30 years to experience it. And, um, and so you think at those levels, you, 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 you're experiencing love at the highest level, especially when you're so connected, and maybe it's a moment of dinner or talking, and you just realize, wow, this woman has been with me for 30 years of my life, and the mother of my children has been a witness to my life. I mean, you know, it's just hard to explain that about emotion. It's still not the highest level. It does come close. When Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, it's the person that's experiencing love at the highest level for humanity. A person that's willing to lose for others. A person that's willing to look foolish for others. A person that's willing to give and lose everything for the sake of others so that they would win. Because sometimes you can invest and care for people to the point that your hearts are broken. you're still a person that's blessed if you could love at that point and continue the love of others. Listen, let me, let me share something. Two, two things here. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, your litmus test is not how often you go to church or what exactly you do, but what you do with people as far as loving them. And this morning, you're one of those people that you think, well, you know what, I, I'm interested in this thing. I'm not sure if I'm ready to you know, take that step forward and become a follower of Jesus. I get it. I mean, listen, no one's, no one's rushing. You know, we're hoping that you are. But what he's inviting you in is a moment of love and connection with him. And he invites you to be an agent with him in restoring humanity and doing good to everyone. Not just members of Club Jesus, but to everyone. That's not a bad deal, really. And I don't think at the end of a life like this that you're going to say, man, I just did too much good. You know, I should have been more focused on me. 
I think you'll be able to rest knowing that you did and lived out your life for others and that this world is better off because you existed. And that would be your legacy as well. Join me in a moment of prayer, would you please? Father, thank you so much for your kindness and your love for us. Thank you that you are a person who drives us into health and to wholeness. And you invite us in so that we could also be agents to invite others into your life. Help us to remember it's not just what we do or say, but how we treat people that will demonstrate what you've done in our lives. Father, we pray for our friends and our family members who are perhaps distant and disconnected from you. We ask that you would show your kindness and mercy and to forever pursue and speak words of love to them. But help us to be those examples of those words to them as well. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be loyal. Help us not to be betrayers. Help us be ones who always hope the best, seek the best, and believe the best for everyone until they are the best for you. It is in your son's name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.